Hello, from Fort Meade, Florida. I'm staying at my friend's farm, which is bliss. After cruising the cities of the USA, it's quite nice to be a little bit away from it all. Although I do love city life too. Sometimes it's nice to get a little break. Here is a conversation I had with my friend Miguel in Seattle at the Squatch Fest festival, Spring Awakening in Seattle last month. This will be episode 182 of the Scottish Liberty podcast. Shall we begin? Anthony, it's a great honor to have you here. Anthony is a world traveler, an explorer, a spreader of powerful ideas. He's someone who is helping people be themselves and love it, as he would say, as is his uh, one of his catchphrases. Um, I say catchphrase. It's you know, it's it's deep wisdom. And Anthony is someone who, the moment you meet him, he has this uh, you know sort of presence that. It's so unique and um, and powerful. Uh, Anthony is uh, Anthony is a powerful person. He shares his power with others. Uh, when I first met him at an agorist meetup up in uh, near Bothell, Washington, it was um, you know to hear Anthony speak, and it was just from then on. Oh, this is one of my new favorite people oh. in the whole world for sure. Um, so Anthony asked me to, um, we asked Anthony to come speak to us about anything. Anthony, uh, he definitely, I've never heard him say very uninteresting things, um, whether he's up speaking to a crowd or just having a conversation. And uh, his initial idea was libertarian environmentalism, and uh, I, which we were excited about. And we also realized um, Anthony, as he might put it, uh, is, is probably more likely than not just going to raw dog it <laughs> with his speech. I heard him say that at one of the last times I heard him speak. I, oh, I'm just raw dogging it. <laughs> so, so. We anticipated that, and uh, then we determined, based on Anthony's wishes, that uh, we do just interview style and just kick it and just talk. Yeah. And uh, I'm very grateful for this opportunity. I'm grateful for Anthony to be here pouring light into people. So welcome, Anthony. It's, it's uh, such an honor to have you. Thank you. I need to live up to being all those things, nice things that he said. <laughs> and uh, thanks a lot, Miguel. Pre no pressure or anything. I just need to be master of time, space, and the universe. Um, yeah, I didn't think that something like an educational lecture was going to go down. Well, probably you'd listen politely and you might learn something, but I feel like um, at this time 
when the world seems so crazy, it'd be nice to do something a little bit more down to earth and just connect. Like the most amazing thing about traveling the USA has been connecting with so many amazing people. I've been so and show, so and show, shown so much kindness. Um, people picking me up from the airport, letting me stay at their place, uh, arranging events, for, inviting me to events, and it's really shown me the importance of community. If you can build the right community around you, then you almost forget that the crazy shit that's happening in the world is even happening. Because where is the world right now? It's pure imagination. It's just you, me, Miguel, a couple of cute dogs, the sky, the fire, here and now, sharing together. Where's the future? It's just a story in our head. Oh, what if this happens? What if that happens? Ah, on and on into infinity. There's no solution up here because you just need to kind of have faith that if you do the right things now, coming from a good place, coming from your heart, ah, I'll think about the future later. Like, maybe a lot later. Like, really far, like maybe never. Yeah, that might be... The best time to worry about the future is never. I'm too busy giving 110% right now, every fucking day of my life. But Anthony, there's no such thing as 110% job. Uh, no, but, but there is because 100% would just be enough to like what was adequate for the situation. The 10% is like, is the percent that makes you completely dissolve and as a individual single human being into the intensity of your meeting. And I just feel like uh, as I met people, I just want to show what is possible when we're together. That's why I love events like this, Brian, Miguel, bringing everyone together because we are, we've got two choices. Either we take what's out there into us and we let that rule us, or here, I'm doing my own thing with my people, and I'm stamping that in the world, and then people can draw their energy from that, you know, less debating people who are not interested in changing their minds on Facebook and more sharing the wisdom that you've learned in your life with those who are receptive so you can help them, because you've got a limited amount of time on the planet, so you can't really waste your energy chasing around, bashing your head against the brick wall. So I don't know what we're going to talk about now, but hopefully it'll be good. And feel free to participate. I would like that. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Anthony. There's so much we could talk about. And we probably will. Well, I'm sure we will. Yeah, let's, let's get into it. So... At that Agorist meetup where we met at the Kenmore Lanes 
bowling alley and their their banquet room where surprisingly they were pretty cool they were pretty like you know didn't really bother us uh, and that was nice um, you shared with us how you've been you know essentially you could almost say stuck mm. here in America or out of your home country mm. where you can't go back uh, otherwise you fear not being able to leave mm. unless you give in to the forced injection Tons of stuff. or other some such you know you know extreme measures and so here we are at this juncture and I mean, first off, I think I would love to hear your thoughts in terms of your, your hopes and your fears and how you feel about the direction that the world is going. Okay. Don't hold back, you know, ask a difficult one. <laughs> okay. My hopes and fears. I, first of all, this has been the best year of my life. I would not have done all of the things that I've forced to be. I, I, I would not, I, like Frodo Baggins in the Lord of the Rings, I was forced to leave the Shire, which was kind of comfortable. I would have just gone to India, right? But once, so I never knew how easy it was to travel the US and it's forced me to be incredibly resourceful. So uh, the mark of a good student is that they learn from whatever their circumstances are. You can't always choose your circumstances, but you kind of choose how you respond to them. Maybe a cliche. I didn't come up with that one myself. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a truth to it. So my, if it's an unconscious process where you're just, kind of being battered around by fate, then you can just repeat the same thing over and over and over again. Thank you. Harry. Thank you. It's good to know. But if, uh, my, my, my hope is that the more people, as many people as possible, turn this into a conscious process for themselves. And by increasing their awareness, become more resourceful, the way that I've come more resourceful. I have fucking lost so much shit on this. Phone, laptop, passport, a lot of the time I got them back, but like the constant freaking out and feeling like a little retarded child because I've lost something again. Like even stuff like that has forced me to become resourceful and uh, also face all the woundedness associated with the perception that I might have had uh, from parents or caregivers when I was a child and lose something and I realized that that kind of image still lived on inside me and confronting the shame like so everything's an opportunity even something as uh, seemingly irritating and unremarkable as losing your wallet uh, So my hope is that people bring their consciousness to their circumstances and use whatever happening to evolve because that's how we're going to... The planet's just a mixture of all the people on the planet. So 
the more of us are evolving, the nicer the planet's going to look in the long term. I'll say a little bit more about but why, uh, like the drama, the drama that I see playing out on the world stage. Maybe we can circle back to that. Um, my fear is that there's the one thing that I'm really scared of is the fact that people when you expose them to new evidence, they don't seem to change their minds. Like, I'm not that scared of the government because they're basically doing what I expect them to do. Gangsters going to gangbang, right? They're, you know, they're doing what you'd expect people in power and control and attracted to that to do. Um, but if you can't hear some facts or information that you've never heard before and go, oh, that's interesting, I never saw it that way. Then I don't, I, that worried me as to how we can wake people up or, you know, because they're, and when you, when you watch the news, uh, they've got weapons that we don't have. Like when you listen to a podcast, you're getting, it might be slanted, but you're getting someone's opinions uh, with facts, basically. But when you watch the news, it's very short sections, and they've got this music that's going, dun, 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 dun. Today, the coronavirus case in this hospital and closed down and shit, in the very tense, serious voice. And it's not working on people's conscious mind. It's working on their emotional apparatus. It's uh, kicking up the emotional apparatus to be re ready, to, ready to receive a simple message. So that's why it's brainwashing or it's not happening. That's why you can't talk them out of it because they weren't talked into it by information. But now that I'm coming to learn and see what's coming on, I think I've realized it's not going to be an information thing. It's us. We've got to become as powerful, as exuberant in our energy so that when we encounter people, they're like, whoa, what's happening here with these people? Like, this is attractive. We don't work merely on the factual level. We, we're going to work with people on the emotional apparatus as well, with our lovingnessness. So it's like, um, that's how the communication is going to happen, because people don't care what you know until they know that you care. So that's why you kind of have to put your best foot forward, even with those who frustrate you by their unwillingness to see reason. Anthony, when you come and interact with this community here so far, you've been here at the campgrounds about a day. Um, what is it that you what is it you, you hope to see come of, you know, a uh, community like this? What was it that brought you here and that had you interested to speak to us? And um, what do you think that Sasquatches here at our festival, aside from having just a great time and, like we said, getting out in nature, right, and being together, what can you see us accomplishing just from this, you know, just from this little festival of ours. Well, the first part of the question is easy because you brought me here, Miguel. Uh, Miguel made quite an impression on me. Very big 
hearted. And uh, I was going to come no matter what after meeting you. I actually wanted to come for the whole weekend, but I was given an unmissable opportunity on Saturday, so I'm going to go to Pittsburgh for that. Um, okay. When I come here, when I meet a person, I know I'm a chatterbox, but uh, when I first meet a person, I usually become very receptive first. I try and give people the chance to speak and find out what they're all about so that I can find the right... The On the Venn diagram of our personalities, like where is the really nice place to meet a person as an individual? And it's a big, it makes a big impact on your personality when you realize that when you stop thinking about how much people are like, what do they think of me? Like, do they like me? Do they think I'm funny? Do they think I'm that? And you suddenly realize that people care what you think about them just as much as you care what they think about you. Because then you're looking. I'm calling to turn up the PA just a little bit. The music's nice, but I want to hear you too. Thank you. Well, you can hold it. You gotta oh, I'll just hold it closer. Do Is that better? Yeah. <laughs> so when you realize that people are also neurotic and thinking, how am I being judged? How am I coming across? Do I belong here? You know, your capacity to just be there for the people around you, the, the powerful, the, the meaningfulness of that becomes apparent to you. And just by accepting people, they melt in your presence and all their, you're healing them. Well, they're healing themselves, but you're creating a nice environment for them to feel like they can just drop stuff. So I'm kind of getting like interested in finding out who people are and what they're all about. And as you clarify that, what people can contribute comes to becomes apparent, becomes obvious. So like the idea of Miguel interviewing me today rather than giving a lecture, uh, um, that emerged last night. Um, Brian and Joel, they both independently asked me, is the is the book is your book on on audio? I was like, I was like to Joel, uh, well, someone said they were going to record it, but they never ended up doing it. And he's like, oh, well, I've got a studio. Maybe we can record it there if you want to ever do that. And I was thinking, oh, when am I going to, when am I, when's that going to be? And then we came here, Brian asked me the same question. And then he's like, oh, dude, we should totally record the book, like completely independently from each other. That's a pretty good Brian impression. <laughs> yeah. We should totally, oh, we should totally, like, oh, we're going to, like, we're going to make the bar over there and we're going to build a fire and... <laughs> Is that good, good at Brian and Frenchie? Yeah. I didn't hear it. I just wondering. Oh. <laughs> hey, what? I'm missing Anthony, Sa Anthony Samaroff is speaking now and I'm missing the thing? What the fuck, dude? <laughs> I can't believe I'm missing it. I missed it? Is it going to be on YouTube? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing that was good. 
Brian, I'm you. I'm you. I'm me doing you being me doing you. Are we going to record an audio book, dude? Yeah. I'm doing the audio. <laughs> me too. So, to bring it back to your question, I think what I would like is us to create a space where people's um, personality emerges into and it becomes increasingly clear to them what they have to contribute to one another and wider to the world and wider to the universe. So that's what I would like to help people create. Like I'm a therapist, that's pretty much my bread and butter. This is like my hobby. <laughs> Um, and I've learned so much about being receptive to people and how people bloom. It's like uh, attention is like a mineral that everyone is deficient in. And if you provide them with the right quality of attention, it's like sunlight to a plant. So I kind of want to teach people the art, by my example, the art of like quality attention. Even this talk, okay, I'm doing all the talking and all the attention's on me, but I need to be receptive to what's happening here. Because you don't, if you're a gardener, you don't just go out and water all the plants the same. One of them's gonna drown, one of them's gonna dry up, because you didn't, you look at all the plants and you find out what's needed. So just to pay attention and see what is necessary, what do I have to offer? And I think that if we create a space where people feel accepted and get lots of high quality attention from one another, that will evolve them. They'll, their inhibitions will go down and they'll feel more inclined to volunteer. Oh, I could do that. Oh, how about you teach me to do that? So I don't feel like an idiot in school when I got red crosses all over my work whenever I made a mistake. I know it's okay to make a mistake here. We learn from our mistakes. So that is what I hope to bring. Thanks for asking. That's so great. And uh, I think even just your words of encouragement are so helpful. And uh, I'm curious to know more, and I'm curious for others to know more about about your coaching and what coaching is and why you why you do it so tell us more about coaching hmm. well when i was in my 20s i was uh going through a lot of crap while i was at college and I wanted to do things, but I didn't have the discipline to make myself. And so by the time I kind of finished with my undergrad, the, the best thing skill I had, I had already started working with people and doing workshops and things. I wasn't that skillful at the workshops yet, but um, I read a great book called Nonviolent Communication, which I recommend. And that taught an approach to listening to and understanding people. And I noticed that when I practiced this in my day-to-day -day life, I related to people in a way that was healing. So I thought a sensible thing to do would do a postgrad in counseling, which I did in Edinburgh University. So I feel like I suffered and I didn't I would have liked better help, and I think that it seemed like a useful 
use of my experience to provide the help that I wish that I had had or would have liked to have had. And over the years, it's been just developed. It's like people go at light speed compared to what it was before. I thought it was pretty good, like pretty naturally talented, but it's always changing. And the deeper my healing, the more like I'm really I really dig a guy called Carl Rogers. Uh, he's he was amazing psychotherapist. Uh, he's got a great book called Client Centered Therapy. You can listen to an audible. And he talked a lot about how that it was the attention and positive regard of the therapist that created an environment for the client to heal rather than the expertise diagnosis it was much more relation-based than the earlier stuff where the therapist the expert and he's like a doctor that's going to diagnose you so it's really influenced by that i don't practice a hundred percent carl rogers because i feel like i had one one hand tied by, behind my back if i didn't use all my tools but that kind of grounding and um creating a solid authentic relationship with people as a as a predicate to so i would say that therapy is like um weeding the garden and coaching is like cool that sounds like a good idea Sorry, just keep on telling me. So I would, the way I put it is counselling therapy is like weeding the garden. If you want to have nice flowers, you have to prepare the soil. Coaching is more like uh, planting flowers, planting your vegetable patch and things like that. It's more like, um, and I kind of flirt between the two. I don't really like any of these labels. Like, if people ask me what do you do, I just be, I'd like to say I'm a helper. <laughs> you know, I'm a people gardener. I am a. Uh, I just would like to make myself available and see what's needed, and offer that of myself. So, how about you? You're embarking on your. You've been coaching for a while, and you're embarking on your coaching career. What do you, what do you see coaching as, and the value of it, and what do you want to bring to the world with that? Well, thanks for asking. Well, I have been a professional coach for, um, I suppose, about two years now, and I've done things similar to coaching in other in other capacities, and came across this uh, emerging and growing um, profession of people who as coaches basically ask great questions, really don't really do that much talking typically. They ask great questions and are such great listeners on a level that is ex so extremely uncommon that when you're when you're with someone that's listening at that that those higher levels you know you feel well you, you feel heard you feel heard and um and that in itself is is empowering and it also is challenging because what you say and how you might choose to answer those questions reflects on you know your beliefs which are driving what you get in the world and 
Um, so I just saw it as an opportunity to have conversations with people and listen and you know do my best to ask great questions and um, so so yeah I think it's it's a valuable skill I think you know the way it's emerging as a profession is just a reflection of how valuable coaching skills are for anyone um, and those basic you know listening asking great questions um, and being really committed to truth and being accountable and I believe that basically owning yourself and owning your life I mean basically comes with you know having to own your choices and your actions and the results that you get and I think that coaching is something that that helps you know helps foster that um, so I just love that that is something that you bring to the table that I can see, you know, is so valuable for people. Uh, I love that you're so, you know, knowledgeable and good at educating folks on other things like economics and uh, other aspects of philosophy. And, and I just think that the, the personal growth aspect or however you want to, you know, I know a lot of the labels aren't really adequate you know, helping people on that level uh, is something that's so necessary just in light of the problems we face. So I love that you do that and even just getting to spend time with you here I think is just a huge, yeah, a huge uh, treasure and a, and a value and a gift and so I hope that folks get to experience that with you in their, in their other interactions with you here while you're here. So, um, I have a number of different questions I'd like to ask you. Oh, yeah, perfect. Yeah, because, well, first of all, I think with uh, a lot of the boring jobs getting automated, it's like people are going to have more time on their hands. And the thing is, when you're a human being, there's no top line as to what your potential is. You know, you could learn Spanish tomorrow. You can go out and fucking learn piano, golf, whatever. So when you realize that your potential is unlimited, the value of something like therapy or coaching becomes more apparent because you've, we've all got these kind of latent capacities that we could do with some developing. And then you've got more to bring to the world as well. What I think, what I want to talk about was I mentioned it before, like the drama of what's going on right now. Like, I'm working on a hypothesis, which is like, why are people so scared about this COVID stuff, right? I don't actually think they are scared of COVID. I think they were already scared and anxious, but because they didn't have anything apparent to be scared and anxious about, they was kind of like repressed. But now, the, oh, it's COVID. Now I've got an excuse to feel anxious and afraid, which I did anyway. I think we were like, we've really lost the... The first stages of life are so essential to the formation of the personality and, you know, and some cultures that I've been to, like India, people can quite, you know, go into fits of tears of sorrow or laughter or joy. They're so flexible with their emotions and we become so rigid that I feel like everyone's so repressed and um, 
they don't get over things. They just, they don't know what to do with their emotions. So they just kind of store them on the pile. And what I'm seeing in the world is just this big fucking drama of everyone's repressed shit that they've not processed playing out on the world stage. I think if you go back in history, this is the same thing, repressed aggression, then there's the First World War, and then, oh, we have a period of calm, and we've got an economic boom, and this, but the thing is, we didn't deal with the underlying psychological issues, which was that people were repressing all their negative emotions, and the war was a good chance to basically battle it out, like a drama, and so it happened again. And then the Cold War, where you're, then the Gulf War, then the War on Terror. This is going to go on and on until we address the psychology of individuals, until we deal with our shit. And uh, there's no line between, for me, libertarian philosophy and the personal development stuff, because the thread that goes through all of it is personal responsibility. The individual, only the individual thinks, only the individual acts. Your life's your own responsibility. But when we take responsibility for our lives, we become fit to create organizations, communities to help our fellow man. And that's how we build up. Like Lego blocks from the individual one, you can build all sorts of beautiful castles with moats, pirate ships, whatever you like. So I'm really into the, I really think that this movement is not going to go anywhere without a dedication to cultivation of the individual, starting with ourselves. And the great thing is, you don't need to vote to get individual cultivation. You don't need to write to your congressman. You don't need to convince everyone in your block to sign a petition or vote for your party. You don't need anyone. You just need to have a little bit of a look at what's going on for yourself and start working there. And if you could deal with some help, uh, you'll find Miguel's contact details on the website. <laughs> oh yeah, anybody can hit me up and I mean, we're, we're just, we're trying to do freedom everywhere here. And uh, everybody's reaching out and finding how they can play a part. So that's, that's really great. Um, on that note about what we're doing here at this festival and uh, sort of the purpose behind it, we put on the website that this was a group camping festival centered on Freedom cells, agorism, mutual aid, uh, homesteading, prepping, things of that nature, right? And you are someone who has been really engaged in the world of libertarian philosophy lately and sharing your thoughts in a really valuable way um, in a lot in, in a lot of different contexts. You're here at this festival that, like I just said, is centered around, say, agorism, and then tomorrow you're flying to Pittsburgh, right, to speak at a Libertarian Party a Mises Caucus event, which, you know, in terms of this whole broad movement of people who are really passionate about freedom, there are some that like one and some that like the other, and maybe some that like both. 
Um, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on these trends and these strategies and these different camps or you know, ways through which we can strive to achieve freedom and how, how they maybe play into each other or, or what their relationship is and uh, how you feel about the strategies in, ge in general. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah, so those people in the Mises Caucus I've met, for example, in Nevada, where they basically got all seven positions on the board of the Nevada Libertarian Party, they're extremely passionate about freedom and doing something constructive. Um, it's really not the content of your life in, in a sense that it's not what you do, it's not whether you're or, or in, doing agorism or whether you're engaging in politics, it's how you do it. It's what is the spirit that you're bringing to it. Because you need to sh shine, a shine a light in dark places. I don't like to... Mm. The, what I don't like about the political process is there's a lot of banging your head against a brick wall and a lot of ineffective action that just wastes people's energy and they get burnt out on it. However, if you're, what they look to be doing is to go in to get some good messaging in the Libertarian Party and it looks like it's an achievable goal. They're there to shine a, dark, a light in dark places. I'm going to go wherever I'm invited. If the Libertarian Party Pragmatist Caucus want to invite me to an event, I'm going to go speak there. Because it's not what it's not what I do. It's how I do it. It's like the song. Ain't what you is it ain't what you say or is it ain't what you do? It ain't what you do, it's the way that you do it. So I'm just journeying through the present moment, uh, seeing what I can contribute and whatever. And if someone thinks that I'm going to be useful, hey Anthony, you've got something to offer, come here. I'm there, babe. You know, if, so my view is it depends on your nature and your skills. Figure out what kind of person you are and what way you can be of benefit to others and do that. That's my view on strategy. That's awesome. And any other thoughts on on just sort of holistic strategies, different areas of your life, you know, you feel like are particularly important for us right now to be pursuing and implementing, you know, in light of just this increasing authoritarianism, so many factors, um, social unrest and social strife and just a lot of, a lot of hurt and a lot of pain you know, spiritually and psychologically and even, you know, definitely physically and in so many areas for people right now. What are some of the things you think more of us could, could do more of? Okay. Probably three things have been more important to me than anything else. One, improve your communication skills. 
It is a learnable skill. I can recommend you some really good books off the top of my head. One is Nonviolent Communication. Another one is How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk. I've also got an 18 video playlist on my YouTube channel called How to Make Small Talk. If you practice the techniques in the videos, you will become more confident. When you're more confident, people feel comfortable around you because you've got it. They don't need to worry about being confident because you're in charge. That means they can relax. That is going to be really important to be able to go into the world and help people around you relax. They'll be more receptive to what you have to say because if you're not confident about it, you obviously don't have much conviction. So that will help. The second thing is meditate. <laughs> this fucking world is a stressful place, but if you discover what tons of people, myself included, have discovered, there's a place inside yourself that's just watching and isn't actually affected by anything. You can retreat into oneness with yourself in difficult times. So that is going to resource you and it's better to start sooner than later because it takes some practice. So get friendly with yourself. That also helps the movement. And uh, yeah, if you know, get in shape <laughs> if you can because it's not going to be fun walking upstairs here and there. You're, you, if you, you don't want to have trouble getting off the toilet seat when you're old. It's going to be fucking humiliating. <laughs> so get squatting. For the first 30 years of my life, I like carried my body around like a sack of potatoes that was just a burden to me. And then my anxiety got so bad, I had to take up yoga. I've done six months on yoga retreats. I'm still stiff as a board. But my consciousness has changed. My mind's not very, my body's not very flexible, but my mind's very flexible. So I just think it's really important that, you know, you take into, into your own hands what you've got control of. And one thing, a lot of people don't realize how dehydrated they are because we eat all these dry foods like bread, corn chips, tortillas. It's, bread is like a sponge. It's just soaking all the water out of your system. So you need cucumber, papaya, watermelon, um, berries, all the really high water content food because when you drink water, it doesn't go through the whole tube. You'll, ev all, everything in your life becomes easier, more effortless when you're more rehydrated, including processing your negative emotional experiences and everything, the whole apparatus, your mind sharper and things like that. So I know they're not really like political aims, but it, it, everything starts with the individual. So I can't tell you what to do politically, but I know that if you get in the best shape of your life with sharp minds and good communication skills and the meditation and whatever it is you do, it's like whatever you know that you're capable of politically will be put under a magnifying glass times 10. So love yourself first and out of that lovingness 
we will free the world. Mm. Yes. Oh man, Thank you. that's heavy. Yeah, let's give him a round of applause for that one. Oops. Thank you. All that's left. How about would you tell us about your book, your great book, which we have you know copies of here, and which I read recently. I endorse it. I really enjoyed it. Um, it's a very accessible read that is just you know funny and clever and just very smart. Um, it's called Universal Basic Income for and Against by Anthony Samuel. Okay, I'm going to tell you about the benefits of reading the book rather than the content of the book because that is... Why, should, why the fuck should I read your book, Anthony? <laughs> okay, I wrote the book because I wanted to demonstrate a libertarian approach to abolishing poverty. Every Whatever the problem is, everyone thinks Oh, the government, why, why doesn't the government do this? Why, why doesn't the government do that? Uh, in the book, I've shown that less is more. So that's one thing. If you want to know how we can abolish poverty, then read the book. Secondly, and it, by the way, it's not through instituting a basic income. <laughs> it's not. It's, it's more of an against book than a for. However, I gave fair consideration to the arguments in favour of. Secondly, it's going to teach you, it's not the content of the book, it's the process of the book. It's going to teach you to think economically, which is a really useful skill, because it helps you follow a logic tree down. If you do this, what are the likely consequences of that? What are the likely consequences of that? A, B, C, D, E. It didn't take me a year to write the book, but it really took me like 15 years to write the book, because it took 15 years of learning to be able to write such a book. So you'll basically be getting a high dose, what was it, the mineral deficient, like, well, you're maybe not deficient, but uh, it's like, it's really, power, it's, it's a powerful lesson in thinking economically. And it's funny and it's entertaining and most of the stuff you might want to read on economics can be a bit like heady. And The third reason why you should buy the book is because it's one of the ways that I'm funding this tour. So one thing I like to do is come sit down with me and let me get to know you a little bit, ask you a few questions and I like to write something personal for everyone and the sleeve of the book, you know, I'll sign it for you personally. And give us some money if you've got it. If you've not got any, then I'm probably not, not going to give you the book. So, but uh, I accept crypto. <laughs> uh, and, and, and fiat is good too, because uh, it gets me across America. So that would be the, the, those would be the selling points, I think. Did I miss anything? Yeah, it's a great book to give your lefty friends because it talks to all their issues. So, do you, I think we should turn it over to these guys, unless you've got anything else. 
don't right see I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you guys to contribute and ju don't just stand there like this sit there like this <laughs> God gave you two of these what you do is you put one of them in the air and then we go you and then you contribute something from your heart or you ask a question how does that sound can we do a practice right here just do this with me excellent you guys are naturals I can tell you I can tell the teachers loved you in school okay you yes thank you I don't know if I need the mic. Yes, please. Right. <laughs> hey there. Hi. Hi. So I'm curious, uh, is this your first time here in the States? No. Well, I'll follow you. Follow me, yes. <laughs> I've been to the States a few times before, but I feel like this is the time I really experienced the States. Even the first two times I went to Manhattan, I didn't really like it much, but I went back last year in January, and I saw it, and I was like, oh, actually this place is pretty freaking cool. Now, when I came here, I was staying with a girlfriend six weeks, and I was like, I'm not fucking moving to the United States. Uh, like, I just can't... There, there's, there's a lot of things I prefer about the US to here, but you guys do terrible coffee. Come to, come to Glasgow when things open up, and I'll show you what a real coffee tastes like. What the fuck? Sorry, I'm just, just putting it out there. And why is your produce so expensive? I never really realized, I never realized how cheap groceries were in the UK. If you want to eat high water content food, just reminding you. Um, but the more I've been here, the more I see the charm of America and how diverse it is, and uh, and like I, d I don't know where I'd stop, but I wouldn't mind like touring here for a little bit longer, like a really bit lo like like just forever. <laughs> uh, anything else? Um. What have you found most shocking about uh, touring here? Hmm. What I find shocking, I, I, nothing like shocked me, but I like interesting little cultural differences, right? See when you're having your meal in a restaurant and you might just be finishing your fries or something like that. They come and bring you the check. That would be considered extremely rude in the UK or in Europe because it would imply that they were trying to get rid of you. But the mentality here is completely different. They're like, oh, I don't want you to stay waiting, going, hello, could you give me the check, please? Here it's rude to keep people waiting. So they bring the check nice and early to make sure that you've got it. So that's really interesting. Another thing is, I don't know if it's just the people that I was hanging out with, but when I've met rich people like ballers here in America, like... Ballers. Ballers. <laughs> ballers. See, I'm getting Americanized. I've even started spelling realize with a Z instead of with an F. <laughs> like, people, I like the mentality. It's like, people are just like, ah, fucking, fuck it, I can make more money. They make money to spend money. 
Whereas if, in my experience, like even rich people in the UK, it's like more tight-fisted, it's like more in a scarcity mindset. It's like, mm. and people are just like, fuck it, I'll make more money. I think that's a better mentality. So, The, 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 the thing that I don't like, no, this is not everywhere, you know, it's kind of like a progressive cultural um, trait, is the passive-aggressive uh, way of pointing things. Like, when, when I was on the, once I was on the U-Bahn in Germany, and I tried to play a bit of a podcast, and the, a woman across from me just really abruptly said, like, uh, would you put headphones in, in German? And uh, I was like, okay, yeah. They just, just lay it on the line. Whereas here, someone would be like, excuse me, I think, sir, that you may be, like, and they're trying to pretend that they're not, like, pissed off. Like, <laughs> I dropped a hanky on a plane, and, like, the guy behind me was like, excuse me, sir, I think you dropped your napkin. And then her, then his wife was like, yeah, and pull your mask up over your nose, too. Uh, Go suck a dick, lady. How about that? Um, so, I, it's nice to observe. I mean, we're we can be quite overly polite in the UK as well, but there's a certain subsection of people here who the, the passive aggressive. They're just some of the weird little things, quirky things that I've noticed. And we also, wh why can't you just leave anything alone? Like, tea was perfectly fine served warm for like a century or two. You need to fucking make it iced tea. What, what, what the, it was perfectly it was just the way it was it was tea served nice and cold uh, warm <laughs> with milk what the cream half and half was that why why cream isn't anything just good enough as it is can we just leave it like everything's got to be like bigger and advanced to you which is why I don't understand why you don't know how to make a coffee <laughs> anything else no, thank you. Does someone else have something? Yay! Yeah, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I first uh, became familiar with you uh, listening to you on the Tom Woods show. And I remember at one point you joked about uh, Marie Rothbard said at one point. I don't know when it was, but that there were 25 libertarians in the world. And you said that was probably the case in Scotland. And I feel here, even in the States, like whether you're an agorist or a libertarian, it's, it's a pretty intense minority viewpoint. It's just something I've struggled with, like, like reaching people and just the psychology of, can I reach people? or? You know, do you, do you mean non-libertarians or libertarians? Non-libertarians and just your average person. A lot of times it feels like they just, they don't care about freedom. So I'm just curious if you have any dealing with uh, being an outsider. I very rarely feel like an outsider because I'm taking a sense of belonging around with me. Like, I'm not concerned with me belonging. I'm concerned with making the people around me belong. 
feel like they belong. So really the thing is, I know this is like some crazy, like cheesy Eastern mysticism, but thinking about yourself in those contexts is counterproductive. It's like, I, I, I'm teaching coaches to make a living online, mass teachers, counsellors, anyone who works with clients, that's one of the things I do. I teach them how to get clients. And I say, and one of the things I say is don't think about how is the world going to stay, sustain me? How am I going to make money? Go out and help people and they'll fucking pay you. So I think the thing is, I'm not really concerned about changing people's minds anymore. I think I was a little bit obsessed with it in the past. But I realized that I was acting out my own drama, which was arguing with my parents over stuff and them not changing their minds. And then I was just transporting that onto the world. And there was always another guy. Someone's wrong on the internet again. <laughs> Why do there have to be all these wrong people on the internet? Why can't they just have the right opinions like I do? Why? I so I don't know. Like without ask, without getting to know you better, what I would say is, if I were you, whatever you're looking for in terms of building your community, or or no connect or whatever connection needs you have that are unmet, I would suggest you think about what is my way to make other people feel what I'm looking for, because that then becomes. A, two-way street like I don't feel alienated or like I, I you're like in the states and you're like eh, it's still a minority opinion this is like fucking mecca to me like I'm like oh my god I've never met so many fucking libertarians in my life so you're just maybe just hanging out in the wrong places but because no one's going like you know Nathaniel Brandon you said he used to tell his clients no one is coming no one is coming and one of his clients once said, but you know, you always say no one is coming, but that's not true. Because Nathaniel, you came. And he said, yes, you're right, I did come. But I came to tell you that no one is coming. So you have to participate in your own rescue. You obviously see a gap here. A need is not being fulfilled. So I would suggest that you think about how you fulfill that need. And like, that could just be, it's find out what's going on and connect people to each other because it's not that difficult. You go on Facebook and you type in my friends in Seattle and it will tell you who lives here. And you can just send them a little message. I mean, or somewhere else, somewhere else where you see an event. One of the great things about being on this tour is I'm meeting so many people that if I meet someone here, I go, oh, I met someone in Nevada that can help you with that. So I can help without like actually doing anything, just linking people together. So I don't know. I mean, we didn't. Maybe we can have a proper conversation about it later, and we can open it up because I feel like I'm giving you unsolicited advice, but it's without a clear picture of your situation, which means it's general instead of precise, and that probably means it's not helpful. It's probably not a general question. Did you have something? Okay. 
All right, so first of all, uh, I can vouch uh, that I was a pupil, student um, of Anthony, so I vouch for him. <laughs> um, and yes, there are more libertarians here than in England, probably Scotland. I've never really been to Scotland, which is, a, well, to climb Ben Nevis, that's about it. <laughs> um, I was kind of interested, actually, maybe I'm putting you on the spot here, but with uh, uh, libertarian environmentalism, because as a libertarian, I'm always kind of confronted with the idea that I'm selfish. <laughs> and, you know, I am concerned about the environment. I was just wondering if there's one thing that I could go away with today um, that could get across that I actually, you know, that libertarianism and caring about the environment is compatible. Um, I know that's probably a large topic, hence why you, you know, had a, wanted to talk yeah. about it, but yeah. Yeah. Well, for anyone that's interested in the original topic, which was libertarian environmentalism, there's a podcast on YouTube called Only Capitalism Can Save the Planet, Socialism Will Destroy the Earth, in which I give like a 35-minute rundown of like the main points, as I understood them. But I think the, the thing is, the, the most simple analogy is um, compare a public toilet to the toilet in your house, you know, that which is considered private property is taken care of. When a, when a government writes a, a policy document on a river, for example, it's usually about who is allowed to exploit the, work, the river in what measure, to what ends, for what profit. Now, while the idea of um, ownership of nature strikes people as quite, uh, they don't like the sound of it. Oh, yeah, that doesn't sound right. It's a limited understanding of what we mean when we say private property and libertarianism, because with ownership also comes responsibility. So if I then own the river and I allow a factory to pollute it with effluent, and the, that washes down and despoils the land somewhere down, they know who to sue. Because I'm the owner. It's my fucking responsibility. I'm not allowed to use my property to damage your property. So that's not the case now when our natural resources are owned by the government in common. Um, those places where they've reforested and Europe and North America are almost entirely on privately owned land. If I, if I own a forest, could you guys cut it out, please? I'm trying to drop some wisdom here. <laughs> the fuck. Um, my interest is to, if I want to farm that forest. My selfish interest is not to despoil the forests, because I might get a quick buck, but if I, if I improve the forest, actually over time, I can, it's a renewable resource, so I can profit eternally from it. 
also, even if I don't, I'm not got any kids and I don't want to stick around or whatever, I, even if I'm not, it, it's in my interest to raise the value of the forests so that if I'm going to sell it, I get more money from it. So actually the selfish interest is completely aligned with the interests of the environment. It's just um, a misunderstanding about uh, private property. And in these matters, usually what you, you have is the worst of both worlds. You have sort of like the government will lease a forest to a company for 10 years or whatever it is, or grazing lands for 25 years. And then it's a case of, well, how much can I extract from this in as short a time as possible? I'm not incentivized to have a long-term view. So it's really the kind of public-private partnership, triple P for short, <laughs> which uh, creates most of the environmental destruction we've seen. I mean, as a company, if I have to dispose of my own waste rather than the government taking it away at the taxpayer's expense, then I've got the interest not to have to dispose of my waste expensively, but to find ways to reprocess all the waste products into byproducts like Standard Oil invented like 100 different things or more to do with the byproducts of their oil farming process. So the the mechanisms of the market, selfishness as you enlightened self-interest as you put it, are the the resources are going to go to the highest bidder, and the highest bidder on average, on average, the resources are going to go to the highest bidder. The highest bidder is likely to be the person who knows how to manage the resource best and increase their value of that resource. Uh, sometimes people mention that aluminium cans are much thinner than they used to be in the 70s. Why? Because the manufacturer is selfish and they don't want to pay more for aluminium and steel when they can make a better design and use less resources. So that's why wherever you had socialism there were like far worse environmental disasters than there have been in the mixed economies. It's, that's, that's a quick sum, summary. Thanks. Does anyone have something completely fucking different? I do. Yeah, I kind of do. This is fun. It, it is fun. So I uh, got stuck in the road down here. <laughs> and uh, this somebody told me to come over and ask people. Uh, I need some help getting my car out. I'll gladly pay people. But my car is stuck in some, looks like horse poop down here. Uh, oh, I don't. Sure. Yeah, I, I went down this road and anyway. Dumped on our property. And yeah. We had the property outlined, but they never took away the horse poop. Okay. I was waiting in it, thinking it was mud. I found out later no, from it Brian was horse poop. Yeah, I was like, it really smells like shit. I hope it's not people's shit, but it's horse shit, which is still pretty bad, but not as bad as humanure, perhaps. I don't know. Wait, uh, so if anybody has any ideas, um, I don't really know. <laughs> <laughs> How to get my car out of a, a horse poop down there? Planks. I don't know. Planks? Yes. There's a what? A horse skeleton. I noticed there's some large bones that were um, hanging out. Oh, great. Lots of charm over there. Horse skeletons and horse poop. I picked a good spot. What about pallets? Pallets. Maybe you could use the pallets to drive out. That's a good idea. 
I might try that. If anybody has any ideas, um, or a tow truck, I don't know, <laughs> or something. Anyway, that's all. Thanks. I'll be right here. <laughs> well, the plants love the horse shit. Yeah. Regarding the forest. Regarding anything. Regarding anything. Oh boy. Is this just open mic, huh? You raised your, you raised your hand uh, Well, I, I've agreed with most of the stuff I've been hearing you say. Um, with As far as ecology goes, um, I feel like the, you know, there's one thing if you're re extracting resources such as uh, mushrooms and huckleberries and blackberries and everything that you can just pick and not destroy, but it comes down to the timber most of the time and these ancient trees are, you know, two, three, four hundred 500 years old and um, that's where the money is and once those are gone the environments yeah so the market mechanism for that is the more scarce those trees become the higher the value and when there's very few of them left the price of the price of the land with them will be through the fucking roof then you don't really need to worry about capitalists. You really need to worry about the government coming in and saying, we're going to take control of this really fucking valuable ancient redwood, and then we're going to sell someone the rights to fell it for way, way, way below what the market rate will be. So as resources become more scarce, the price goes up, that's supply and demand. And what that does is it drives innovation for alternatives. So if the price of oil went through the roof, you'd see more of a surge of renewable. That's why when they were talking about peak oil, peak bullshit, by the way, when did, how, how long was peak oil ago meant to be? Um, they, it was a misunderstanding, because if the price of oil went up, then people would there would be more of an economic incentive to find alternatives. So I don't know what's going to happen when that stuff becomes exceedingly rare. By that time, people might be able to 3D print a substance that's comparable to use. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I fully agree. This new thing with the government um, starting to take over, and I've thought about even the national forests of the Redwoods are suddenly in danger if it becomes... A, no, a socialist, non-capitalist system, uh, because I guess there's 5% of the redwoods left I've heard, and maybe in where I'm, Oregon, where I'm from, there's 2 to 3% of the old growth Douglas fir left, and a lot of that's been cut down now where there's been these fires that who knows where those came from, but now that are areas even along the streams are being torn out, so um, uh, there's very, from a market perspective, but what, one thing, I don't know how to put it, but like the, the essence of things, like we have, the wood in these new trees is not the same value, it's like uh, as an old, like an ancient redwood produces a very straight board and it will not rot if you put it, a post in the ground for years and years and this newer stuff just, it has, a, there's co common wood and there's heartwood and the, the old trees have all this heartwood and so there's an essence to nature um, and what's happened in our societies, you know, the real things in life, gold, silver, uh, hardwoods, and uh, the ancient redwoods, and the Douglas firs, these things are going away. And yeah, we're replacing it with modern things, but we're getting becoming a very plastic world in the process of that. Um, the oceans are filling with plastic, our landfills are filling with plastic, and it has been a great alternative in many ways. You can buy Trex decking. I don't know what that's like when, you know, it's 40 years later and you got to get rid of it. It's, uh, it's crumbles away and stuff, but, uh, 
as opposed to redwood, you either burn or use it as, I don't know, recycle it somehow um, when it's time for the deck. But yeah, there's a, in essence the thing, and it feels like as our world's, we're in a very, Earth is a very finite place, and uh, we're learning that with 8 billion people on the Earth, and it's hard to, uh, I, there's a lot of uh, politics going on, but you know, I don't know who's the, it's becoming a spiritual battle, it feels like, and I could ramble on, but. Um. <laughs> yeah. I agree with you on a lot Thank of you. points. Yeah. <laughs> And as a, uh, the thing is, the only thing, my solution to that is my solution to everything. We need to raise our consciousness. I know a guy, well, I don't know him personally. <clears throat> He's like an Indian guru guy, and he went to a state in the south of India where they had terrible problems with desertification over the years. The, the rivers were way lower than they used to be. And he said, how many trees would we have to plant to solve this problem? And they were like, 130 million, maybe. And he's like, okay, well, we better get started. And they were like, you can't plant 130 million trees. And he was like, well, how many people live in this state? 65 million, right? So if everyone plants one tree, and then they come back and plant another tree two years later, there's your 130 million. I think they've planted like 40, 50 million trees in the last 20, 30 years. So that's what you can do when you mobilize people. So the thing is, everyone has two hands, remember, the ones that ask you to put up in the air. Right now we have a system that doesn't encourage people to discover their own power and how huge an impact positive impact they can have on the world, you know, by using these hands to deal constructively. So I think if we've got, like, there's nice and people who are self-responsible in their own life, so much so that they've got their own stuff covered and they've got a little bit of space left over to do something for others, that's the only way we're going to solve all these problems. So I see my like work as a psychologist not really very far detached from my libertarian advocacy because I'm trying to prepare people to take on more responsibility in their life so that everyone can contribute the maximum. I, that's the only way I see it. You've got very specific expertise. So you need to find out where your expertise is useful and needed. Like, yeah, you personally, you know about the Redwoods, you know about this shit. So when I was in Scotland, I didn't realize I was wasted in a way. I was only, I was only operating at 20% of my potential. Now that I've come to the States and people know me and know what I'm good for, they're asking me to help with things, so I'm more useful because I'm in the right environment. Yeah, as a psychologist, as a libertarian advocate, as a speaker, anything. As a community builder, as a networker who, who's good at bringing people together from different places. So what I would suggest is you find out how you can plant yourself in environments where your expertise on the redwoods and whatnot are useful. Because that's what you're called to, otherwise you wouldn't know so much about it, you wouldn't be passionate about it. Yeah?
Yeah, I, I'm very interested in ecology, but uh, my major in college was uh, geography. Um, and, and lately I've been way into the financial stuff um, going on with fiat currency and things like that. I've just been hooked on studying that stuff. But the, the thing with the ecology is, like say, if somebody logs an area out, it takes 30 years. I learned, I've run in, I was at this place called Golden and Silver Falls, um, a little state park. It's a one mile square state park uh, down on the Oregon coast. And uh, it's got these ancient myrtlewood groves and uh, all the Douglas fir and a couple streams going through it. And, uh, and I ran into a guy who picked mushrooms up in there and he said, you know, he's not, you can tell he's picking in the park, which you're not supposed to. But he said, there's just no mushrooms outside the park because there's an ecosystem that gets built and it takes 30 years for mushrooms to really come back as they should and so it just takes a you can plant a lot of trees but the ecosystem is like it's like zen where it fits together like art like uh, I don't know how to even explain it but um, everything just molds together how it's supposed to be when it becomes ancient and untouched and um, so if you you can plant the trees but you, we can't design it like a, a human can help but it can't design like God can design so to speak or just say the universe or uh, um, so when I talk about the essence of things, there's the um, when it comes to even building up this biome is uh, used with like even chicken manure and compost and all these things and just learning that a lot of people they just learn to do simple things like uh, saved all this um, you know if you're just fruit scraps and then you have chickens then you get the chicken manure and all that and it's just the way a forest works if you just. Uh, but it only takes one generation or one mindset for half a second to say, hey, let's cut all these trees down and we'll make a bunch of money. And uh, that destroys things much longer. And it doesn't matter if you plant them all back because I see these billboards on Seneca sawmills in Oregon and they say, hey, there's more trees now than there were a hundred years ago. And it shows the woman who owns the place with her little five-year-old children. And, and they go, yeah, it's one thing to have, you know, a little six inch round trees that are all packed together and it's another thing to have a, an ecosystem with uh, you know 12 foot wide trees and uh there's this thing i heard in this uh it's like a metaphysical book but it was the guy it was 1940 so it's based off the bible and he would talk about how uh uh, the, the mo something dangerous is when there's a person out deceiving other people, but the most dangerous thing is when somebody deceives themselves, thinking they're teaching everybody the right thing. And he called it like King Solomon's gold, silver, and it, it was metaphors. And it's like you, the, the silver is when you're purposely deceiving people, and it's very dangerous. But the most dangerous thing is like, so that woman who's teaching, I think she may believe like, she knows that you know the truth but she's teaching her children to believe that they're planting more trees now than there were 100 years ago and just that's a forest but it's really like corn crops it's a uh, it's a it's a it's a uh, not healthy well the, the the reason why there weren't that many trees 100 years ago is because they were all fucking cut down for, for the first world war and so we just replanted what we've destroyed I like, you know, at some point, like, you just need to accept that there's all sorts of stuff in the world that you can't necessarily change and focus on what you can do. Like, you sound like you could get involved in ecological restoration or preser preservation, it sounds like. And, you know, maybe you'll get fucking rich on Bitcoin and then you can just buy a 
redwood forest and say no one touches it. says no one no one touches this shit. So I don't know. I mean like it's great that you're passionate about it. I think that it would be good to see how you could turn that passion into something practical to get involved. Because there's already a ton of organizations that exist to protect redwood forests. So why don't you find out who they all are and see how you can be useful. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I can go a million. Cool. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, uh, well, in that case, that's fine too because you can't do everything. So just choose those things that you feel ideally suited to. That's my advice. For what it's worth. No. Thank you. Thank you. So this is more of a thought, but I'd like to hear what you have to say about it. Um, there's uh, historically movements uh, that have changed uh, countries or changed the world have started with small groups of people that have made a large impact, and uh, in short time frames, they've made a large impact on a larger population. There's a lot of people that believe. Um, however strongly that we're entering into a new paradigm. There's a lot of people that feel this, believe this, and are acting upon this. And I'm just wondering what you think about um, uh, that in general, uh, or however you want to take that. Uh, are we entering a new paradigm? Uh, how does that apply to things like globalization, the connecting of many countries together, and how small groups of people might interact to, um, to fulfill that? Or is it not happening? And you know, however you want to take that. I'm ambivalent. I, I don't know what the fuck is going on, to be honest. It's weird. But the thing is, the, the world's always just in a, always in chaos and in a s transition from one thing into another. So there's always, I don't know what's the new paradigm. I don't know. What is the what 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 is the new paradigm that's meant to be coming through? Yeah, I was listening to a thing yesterday with at a crossroads. Something's got to change, or is in the process of changing. But the main change is I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm just a casual observer. I guess we're going to find out. I'm just going to try and do what I can to improve the situation that I'm in and the people around me are in at every opportunity and just have faith that it'll all work out. And if it doesn't, what happens? What's the worst that can happen? You're di you'll die. Well, you were going to die anyway. So, so... Slavery of all of humanity. Well, you know, Viktor Frankl wrote an amazing book called Man's Search for Meaning when he talked about how people found meaning in the concentration camp. And Epictetus, one of the great philosophers, was a slave and found... The thing is, it's really just... what You can't, like, anything can happen. A plane could fall on you tomorrow. You just need to have faith that you'll deal with it, with whatever happens when it happens. So I'm not getting too afraid about the enslavement. Of, I mean, I'll do everything I can to stop it from happening. But 
if I get enslaved, then I won't have any fucking responsibilities anymore. <laughs> I won't have to finish my ten unfinished books. <laughs> I'm, I'm being glad, but do you know what I mean? What I'm saying is... I'm just focusing on the here and now because I know the future is born out of the here and now. So I don't know. Is there a new paradigm coming in? Or I, I, I'm hoping for a pleasant surprise. I'm hoping that people can evolve a lot faster than it took me and then I thought it took them to. And we'll see things happening. But maybe with this, once this... Maybe if people really are expiating their fear and anxiety by going hysterical over COVID, there'll be a period of calmness, like after you have a fight with your significant other, <laughs> and then there's a period of calmness in the house for a while, and in that calmness will emerge new cons, new consciousness. We'll see. Okay, so um, this is a big question, and I was just kind of curious. Okay, I'm just trying to think of like, what like do you have like a process for helping people? Or how do you figure out like what you're good at, what you could like, where you could actually be of use to the world, and like how do you really whittle that down into a way that makes sense? That is an excellent question. How do you find out what you can do that would be useful to others? Well, a thing is. People, you can, people think they can figure things out, but they can't figure out. Because the mind is only really a storage house for all of your past experiences. It has no idea what you've not done yet. So the best way to figure out what you could do that would be helpful to the world is choose a bunch of stuff and do each of those things for 20 hours each because that's how long it takes to learn half of a skill. Like, it's, that's as long as it takes to get over the bit where you're really crappy. And um, see what you like. See what you're good at. See what was exciting to you. So really, rather than try and figure it out, just choose some stuff that you think you might like and some stuff that you didn't think you were... And try them. Spend some time on each of them and see what's fulfilling to you. Follow your heart. Yeah. I mean, do you, I mean, do you like guns or? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I think I'm probably I'm sorry for cutting you off, man. Oh, no, it's fine. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a challenge, but to, to follow your heart, to uh, just know what you're, if you're, I mean, really getting into gardening or, you know, like if you like helping people or if you, I mean, everybody, we all have a dream inside our head, and sometimes we're just, to manifest that no, in a collective is... No, everyone does. Not everyone does. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, I feel like there's a few avenues uh, we can uh, choose to go, but... Um, yeah, and we, we... I don't know how to put it, but you empower, uh, like... Uh, <laughs> for example when we're coming to this fork in the road in this past uh, uh, discussion uh, oh man <laughs> yeah 
like with where the world's going now. I feel like with COVID out, I, I, with everybody wearing the mask, I didn't know people would react the way they did to, uh, I thought people would like, like he was saying earlier, he was talking about, he knew the government would act a certain way, but we didn't know so many people would go along with that agenda. It just, it shocked the crap out of me the same as it did with him. And I thought there'd be a much bigger pushback and there was almost none. Um, and if we continue to allow and don't stand up the people who are being quiet, and I'm quiet a lot too, I go in with my mask on just not to be a bother and not to be bothered and, um, and just keep going along with it and nobody knows where the support is. If everybody goes along with that, we get pushed into this, we'll end up with the Fed coin, you know, we'll end up with that digital crypto controlled by the government and that controls the power. Right now the US dollar is controlling the power. It's the world reserve currency and if you could put power into anything like the uh, in like my subject is that I like right now is silver and what the um, happened in the 1980s is what who are those brothers the um, Hunts brothers yeah they got silver up to $50 an ounce in 1980 that's the equivalent of like hundreds of dollars an ounce right now and right now silver is $27 an ounce and that's just belief and when you go for it and other people start to believe in it it just creates a wave just like with silver, you can create a wave with anything. But you gotta know the truth. You don't wanna be, uh, you can be 99% right and 100% wrong if you, you know, choose a false path. Um, but I think silver, silver is tangible. It's got intrinsic value. It's always been money for 5,000 years. It's the people's money. Gold has always been hoarded by kings and tyrants and, um, and they have full control over it. The, all the governments have full control in their vaults. Silver, for some reason, uh, is just the people's money. And uh, I don't know if it's metaphorical or, uh, <laughs> uh, but the, the vampire and the, uh, what is the, what else does it keep away? But anyway, <laughs> what's that? Yeah. Silver bullet, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, and these, these vampires out here today—they're like the bankers and and this driving us into this shit, you know. Uh, and it's been going this way for a a long, long time. I mean, looking back, so I, I I haven't seen it. It's all becoming clear to me now. It feels like it's clear, clearing up. So uh, I don't know. It's it's like it's getting back to nature. It's uh. I feel like, I mean, I've never been a Christian, but suddenly I'm seeing eye to eye with anybody who's spiritual. Um, it's in the, in the, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a narrow path, uh, but um, man, there's a true way to go about things. And I think as people start to see and come together in these little meetings, at least share some thoughts. And uh, I think this is going to be wonderful. Yeah. Stuttered my way through that. Does anyone have anything else? Yay. So earlier you were talking about when you feel frustrated talking to someone who doesn't get it. And you said you need to focus on them, making them feel how you want them to feel, like heard. Um, I'm not a regular meditator, so maybe that's what's wrong, but <laughs> I have a hard time with that. I get super angry because they don't see it, and it's so fucking obvious at this point. What do I do with that? Okay. Thank you. Okay, that's a pretty deep question. Anyone else experience that? Yes, yes. <laughs> so the thing is, um, 
there's multiple levels that that question really needs answering on. Um, the first thing is to notice the contraction in your mind and your body when you get this triggering, when someone just like doesn't get it and you piss it and it's pissing you off. The mind becomes very tight and it's an unpleasant feeling. So if you can notice that, then you've got the kind of opportunity to choose to like loosen it up. For it. Like see if you can untighten it. And it's, it's not something most people get the first attempt, but you might find that you get slightly better each time. I think the other thing to remember is that the feeling of frustration that you have is not local to this. It's, it's not specific to this event. You think the other person's triggering you to feel like pissed off, frustrated, angry, that they don't get it. But actually it's like kicking up every time you ever felt like that ever before in your life and you didn't fully process the emotion and now it's be, being triggered up now. Even from just when you were a little girl and you didn't feel like frustrated, understood or that the teacher got it or that you're... So there's a kind of emotional healing that can happen on that level, which is like an opening up to accepting your emotions and feeling them out, feeling them through. So when you have a contraction around an emotion, to physically open up and so that there's a physically open up your body exactly <laughs> and allow allow the emotion to be there and move because it it gets stuck and then there's like this landfill site where you're piling all the negative emotions of that kind until it's so packed that all it takes is a little prep it explodes out so There's a process of digging down to the part that feels that it needs to be understood. Like, you need to understand that and actually feels greatly pained by the fact that it's not understood. There's a like longer process of going in to find that part and basically holding it, loving it, healing it, caring for it, until you don't have that button that's so ready for people to press. Another technique that I find really useful is just to be curious in terms of what I wanted, to, like I was in the car with some people and you know they expressed some opinions that I didn't agree with and I wasn't going to change their fucking mind but what I, was, what I thought I could do was I just wanted to see how they see the world because I already know how I see the world. So I just asked them some questions and tried to really get a picture in my head of what they believe. So if you can, if you can try and build this picture in your head of what they believe and why, like, why do you think that? Where do you get that information from? What do you think about this? If you can get that picture in your head, then if you are going to come in and disagree with them, because you've got a picture, you can find the right angle to come in from. When you just heard a little bit of information, 
and then you responded to it with a point, you shut them down. So they never got time to develop and you never got a clear picture of what they think so that you could find a way in. And if you practice that, right, let me just let me just figure out how they see it. Let me see if I can see how they're seeing it. That then becomes something that you can practice which becomes quite interesting. So that might help as well. You might need to listen to the recording <laughs> to get it, because that's quite a few different techniques. Is that anything else? Is that satisfactory? Sure. <laughs> um, I was just listening to a Bob Marley song, a punky reggae party yesterday, and it, it, um, he sings in that, uh, it takes a joyful sound to make the world go round. And I was uh, thinking, this negativity, first of all, it's like if it's Facebook and stuff, delete it and be done with the distance of people with the inner, not in, it's keep your interactions personal as you can, like we are here today. And, um, and then I just think about, it's, yeah, it's removing yourself from that negativity, because I can get very defiant and uh, confrontational with people when they're pushing me with their negativity, and I, I have a hard time not biting, barking back at them. And so, I just, I, I just give you guys an idea. <laughs> um, one time, uh, my friends and I were in the Yonkei Forest in Puerto Rico, and we were, we took acid, and we took, uh, and we were smoking weed, and we were down swimming in the waterfalls, and we were off the trails, and we were having the time of our lives. We were smoking out of uh, papaya stems. My friend was a hippie teaching us how to do all these cool things, and we'd get back on the trails, and we'd been decorating our clothes with uh, mud, and our, our skin with mud, and putting leaves in our clothing and stuff like that and and just having a sublime time and then we get back on the trail and these people were just looking at us and scowling at us and just thought we were nuts you know and i guess whatever it was it was a very negative vibe you know and the only thing we could do is just run away from them and go down the trail and find another spot in the forest to go enjoy ourselves and feel normal together and um it was just the vibes of the people was the worst thing it wasn't that i mean i don't know if what it was but it's just trying i guess I see us all as humans like treading water in the, I see it with my family, I see it with friends, we're all treading water together and if somebody's sinking and they're struggling and they're full of fear and they're full of anger and they're full of whatever negativity they're full of, they want to cling on to you so to help, you know, if you're a stronger swimmer, but you can't swim if people are clinging on to you, you really have to go, I think he said it earlier in a, maybe in a metaphorical way, you got to build your own house before you can protect others. And. Um, and you got to find that healthy space for yourself, um, and then you can maybe possibly have the ability to, uh, um, when people come to you, maybe hopefully not in a negative way, but you can help them. I think that was something you were saying earlier. Thank you. Does anyone want to say anything else? Let's get some food. I have got some books to sign for you. Come up and get your copy. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, cool. <laughs> so pretty. Can I tell you if she's not lying? Yeah, I don't know that we have anything else in particular because we kind of just put like. Keep this going or? Uh, no. Yeah, we're good. Stop it. Yeah. All right.